Good morning. Give yourself credit. You came out to church on a January morning when it is cold out there. Uh, it is cold outside. I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Today we're going to begin by uh, simply reading a passage, uh, our passage of scripture today. And uh, so I'll give you a minute just to turn there. It's hard uh, to exaggerate uh, the impact of what we're about to read. It's only six verses. It's a, uh, 163 words, so not a lot. Um, historically, this is an event that took place about 4,000 years ago, so a uh, long, long time ago. Um, but what we're about to read has literally changed the course of human history, and it's the perhaps the second most significant promise God ever made to anyone, okay? And we're going to read, it's called the, the Abrahamic Covenant, right? It captures a promise God made to a man. Actually, at the moment God makes the promise, his name was Abram. Hadn't got the, the ham yet. It was just Abram. There was no, it, God changes his name later in his life, but at this point, his name is Abram. Uh, he's a direct descendant of Noah, right? You guys know that story? Noah had a boat, kind of, you know, rain, things like that. Um, so this is 10 generations after Noah, okay, direct descendant, we come to Abram. His father had just passed away, right, so he, he's, his dad's just passed, he's married at the time, and uh, we're, that's where we're going to pick up the story. His father's just passed away, and we're picking up the story, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and we read this, it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, not a lot, there's a guy, his name was Lot. Okay, that's his nephew. Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. Remember that name, Canaan? Everybody ever heard that, right? When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as mm -hmm, Shechem. There you go. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us hearts that love you, souls that trust and choose you, and minds that believe in you. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. We've spent the past few weeks exploring what we believe God has said to us about what the year ahead holds for us, right? That this is going to be a year of wholehearted devotion talked about this relationally and the idea, the concept with rings of a, of a commitment, of covenant marriage between a husband and a wife, that this is a year of devotion. With my whole heart, we're supposed to love God. It's time for us to put the greatest commandment into action, right? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. And that along the way, we're going to discover how wholeheartedly devoted God is to us. And today in particular, we're going to look at, if you can figure it out, what it means to love God with all our mind. That's what we're going to look at specifically, what that looks like 
practically? What does it mean to love God with all our mind? Are we supposed to sit around thinking about God all day? I think I have a slide for that. Yes, there you go. Are we supposed to sit around thinking about God all day? Is that what it means to love God with all your mind? Right? Like, why isn't your, why isn't your work done? Why isn't your report done? Um, I'm loving God with my mind. Why is your room not clean? Kids, you're not allowed to use this. I'm loving God with my mind right now, Mom. I'm just just can't. I'm just loving God with my mind. I'm just thinking about him, just loving him with my mind. Is that, is that what it means to love God with our mind? Um, uh, you know, I, it sounds a little weird. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. Uh, see what I did there? Uh, when he said we're to love God with all our minds. See, the mind, the word there comes from the idea of thoughts, of understanding, of knowledge. Um, it means that we're to love God with as much as we understand, as much clarity and knowledge as we have to put what we know and understand into action. That's what it means to love God with mind. Everything that, we, that, that computes up here, we're supposed to respond to that. We're not just supposed to, you know, uh, discard it. But if you know it, you're responsible for it. Love God by putting that into action. It does not mean that you need to assume what you don't know. Important. Loving God with your mind doesn't mean pretending that you know what you don't. It doesn't mean that you need to understand everything. Loving God with my mind means I need to know it all. No. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you are responsible for what you do know. You may actually understand very little. Do you know anybody that knows very little? No pointing fingers. All God is asking of us is to love him with as much of our mind as we have. Whatever our capacity, whatever our understanding, love him with all of that. And Abram gives us a really good example of what it means to love God with our mind. Not only is it practical and a good example, it's actually, it's not just like a example we could use, it's actually the example. It's the one we're supposed to be using. It's actually supposed to be somewhere in our minds. So what we're going to talk about today, if you don't want to hear it, leave now. Because once you leave, you're going to know this. And again, to love God with your mind means you're going to be responsible for this. I'm just warning you. So if you want to put your fingers in your ears, that's okay. If you want to take a nap, you can do that too. It's okay. But this is what we're supposed to be doing. 4,000 years ago, God spoke into Abram's mind. He, he spoke something into his mind. Six times in what we just read, God says this. This will happen. He says, I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this. Which means, using the word will, future tense, it had not happened yet. Correct? Hadn't happened yet. Which means Abram had to imagine it. He had to, right, use the brain here to consider it. It literally only existed in Abram's mind. It was a vision of what could be. That was it. God gave Abram a vision. That's what he did. He gave him a vision. This was the vision. God told Abraham his family was going to become a great nation. His name would be known throughout the world. His family would be a blessing to the whole world and that he himself would be blessed. It was a vision. It wasn't a reality. God put this thought into his head and it only existed up here. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. Why did God pick Abram? Short answer, I don't know. Longer answer, I still don't know. But he did. Um, I have no idea. Here's the thing about vision. It's different than a dream. 
All we know is that God picked Abram. We don't know why. But here's the thing about vision. It's different than a dream. See, a dream is what could be. What do you dream about? Dream about owning a Ferrari. You know, a, a nice little villa in Turks and Caicos. Like, what do you, do you dream about? I don't know. I dream about being 5'10". Like, what do you... What do you dream about? Like, listen, in heaven, oh, man, not, a, not an inch shorter. I'm going to be at least 5'10". I will be able to touch the rim. Okay, that's my, that's my dream. All right, what do you dream about? Right? Do you dream about not having to work anymore, about retirement? Do you, do you dream about finding the perfect person to spend your life with? What do you dream about? Dreams is what could be. It's anything. Anything could be. There's no limit to what you can dream about. Vision is different. See, vision is not what could be, it's what should be. That means all true vision solves a problem. In order for something to qualify as vision, there has to be a problem for which vision is the solution. It's the solution to genuine problems. So, if you think about that, right, what problem was God solving by choosing to bless Abram's family. To make this not just a dream, this is a vision. What problem was God solving? Let's rewind a bit. People knew God. They knew how to be in relationship with him. Then Adam and Eve and yada, yada, right? Apple cobbler, world is a mess. So then we go, and God hits reset. He says, okay, world is, all right, you guys are just a mess, right? And the world becomes, and so God hits a reset and floods the earth. And that's Abraham's, you know, great, 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 grandfather, right, Noah. But by the time Abram is there, if you read just prior to this, they've just gone through the Tower of Babel, right? There's people, there's just, and if you read about what happens during Abram's lifetime, there's a town called Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just not a good scene. The earth just continues to deteriorate into some really deplorable conditions. So you've got a world full of people who don't know up from down, God says, it's a problem. The world's a mess. I keep trying to fix it. It's a mess. And people who are lost can't get directions from other people who are lost. You ever ask, you know, you know, you know? Uh, listen, I was, we went, we, were, we went to a, con, uh, like a comedy show this past week, uh, my wife and I and Ke- Pastor Kevin and Nikki, and um, we pulled into the parking lot. Like, I didn't know where we were. We were trying to find this parking lot. I'm like, I think this is the right lot, but I'm not sure. It's somewhere in Newark. I'm like, I don't know where we are. I pull in. There's a guy there. I go, hey. He goes, I don't work here. I don't work here. I was like, oh, nope. Like, if you don't know, you don't ask somebody else who doesn't know. He looked like he could have been. He's like, I don't work here. He walked away. He was not interested in talking to me. People who are lost can't get directions from other people who are lost. There's a story David Foster Wallace told, a well-known story about two young fish that are swimming in a out in a swim and, you know, in the river, and uh, they, an older sw- fish is swimming the opposite direction. He nods and says to them, you know, uh, morning boys, how's the water? Don't worry, I'll make it PG for you who know the story. Two younger fish swim on for a bit. They don't say anything. Then one turns to the other and says, the heck is water? <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> There's people going through life, and they're lost, and we have no idea. And you can ask somebody else, and like, I don't know. What's up? I don't know. What's down? I don't know. It's difficult to find what's right and good when nobody around you seems to know what it is either. So God's solution for the world, his solution for the world 
says, I'm going to create a real-life example of flesh and blood display of what it looks like to be in relationship with me so that people could see how good it is to know God and how much he loves them. They needed a visual. They needed a tangible flesh and blood example. So God says, okay, Abram, you'll do. You'll do. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to show the world how they can know me. I'm going to use you and your family to do it. See, vision is always the solution to a problem. God wasn't arbitrarily being like, hey, Abram, let me just do good for you and, you know, everybody else, whatever. It's just unfair, unjust. No, no. God was solving a worldwide problem, and he says, I'm just going to use you. I'm going to use you. God's vision has never changed. See, the vision he had 4,000 years ago for Abram is still the same vision he has for you and me today. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says, Now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you and me. We are under this promise. That vision God had is the same vision he wants to put in your head this morning. God says, I want to put this vision in your head. This is the vision about what you are here to do. Here's, here's what you're here to do. I want to put it in your mind. I want to make you a blessing to the world. That's, that's, that's your purpose in life. I want to make you a blessing to the world, and along the way, I'm going to bless you. You're part of this. You're part of this. God literally wants to solve the world's problems with you. <laughs> Say, I am the solution to the world's problems. You know people who actually believe that. They don't understand this, but they think that for other reasons. Oswald Chambers said, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Man is God's method. And that's gender-neutral, inclusive language, right? God's looking for people who say, use me. That I have a vision for that. You are God's solution to a hurting and lost world. And God says, I want to use your mind to accomplish that because what God is speaking into you hasn't happened yet. It only exists up here, but what starts here can go somewhere else. Thoughts become things. What starts in our minds, that then begins to inform how we live our lives. There's a problem. Here's the problem. There is a battle for your mind today. There is a battle for our minds all over our world. There is an enemy who knows how powerful your mind is and seeks to disrupt that. Anybody have any mental battles ever? Today, the last 10 minutes, right now, you're like, I don't even, you're just struggling right now. All these intrusive thoughts, right, coming in right now, right? You're thinking of all those things. The enemy seeks to disrupt us. There's all sorts of ways he does it. He might busy your mind with other things. I'm just going to clutter your mind. I'm going to fill it with other things. I'm going to overwhelm it with so much noise that you can't use it for what it was intended for. Or maybe he's going to overload it with worry and stress. He's going to fill it with fear and make you, make you just use that mental energy to imagine what hasn't happened yet. Remember we talked about this fear and faith have the same definition? It's believing what hasn't happened yet will. It's the confidence that what hasn't happened yet will. That's what fear is. But it's the same thing as faith. You get to choose. It's the battle for your mind. The enemy might try and get your mind addicted to your phone to media, to other things, and you just, you just, your mind just turns every time. There are ruts and habits. You can study and observe the mind. It's incredible what goes on up here. There's physical realities about what starts with just thoughts. Thoughts are observable in the brain. 
The enemy might plant unhealthy thoughts to try to dominate you. Anything to keep you from thinking what God knows is good for you. That keeps you from using your mind the way it was designed. I don't know what occupies your thoughts, what you spend your days thinking about. But the word of God is clear. He says, with God's power, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. God's power, you are in control of your mind. You get to decide what goes on up here. God says, I've given you power to do that. You get to manage your mind. It's time to allow God to redeem our mind and give us vision for good. It's time. It's time. It's a year of wholehearted devotion. It's time for God us to love God with all our minds, and that means it's time to engage this. Say, God, I want to use this for good. I'm tired of letting my mind be a playground of the enemy. I'm tired of letting my mind be a battle, something I try to escape and something I try to avoid, something I try to just turn off. I entertain myself because I can't deal with what's going on up here. I just want to... And God says, hey, I've given you power. It's time to let me redeem your mind. In Romans 12, Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be like everybody else, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we turn to God, that's what he does. It's time we allow God to direct our thoughts, to allow him to use our mind to see and not just dream about what could be, I could sit here all day and think about things I would like. I would like a four-foot Boston cream donut right there, right now. I can dream about just about anything, right? Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was like, like that movie, oh, food falling from the sky. I just punch it in, and it comes down like crumb cakes right now. I just wanted to rain crumb cakes. That would be amazing. I could dream up all sorts of stuff, but, and it's not bad. It's not, but there are other things, higher callings that God has given me a mind for. I need to not just think about what could be, but God says it's time to think about what should be. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. It's a great question. Abram gives us a great example. We're going to go look at the story. We're going to review that. First, when God said this to Abram, remember, none of it was, in, was, was reality. Abram had no children, right? Nothing of this. None of it was a reality. There we go. Abram had no children. He had no land. He had no name. He, wasn't, he was a wanderer. Nobody knew anything about Abram. But remember, God is the God who calls things that are not yet as if they are. He spoke the world into being ex nihilo. You know what that means? Out of nothing. From nothing, God spoke, and out of nothing, something. Because he's the God that doesn't need something to make something. He can speak things. And he says, I want that to be. God doesn't need anything to make something. Don't let what isn't, here's the application, don't let what isn't stop you from believing what God says will be. Is there something in your life that, that is not yet, that God has spoken into you and you go, uh, it's, that doesn't exist. If it, if, it, if it comes here, God says it will be. God says it will be. Second, when God told Abram what would happen, he told him what he himself was going to do. God says, this, says, I will show you where to go, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will make you famous, and I will bless you and make you a blessing. See, when God moves on our minds, when he plants a vision, he tells us what he intends to do. He didn't say, you're going to do all that. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm telling you what I intend to do. 
God will always do his part. You can count on that. When God puts a, th- puts a vision in your head, a solution for the world's problems to do, he's telling you, I got it. And you know what? God's good for it. We'll fast forward a little bit later to the end of the story. God does these things. He did it all. Everything he said he was going to do for Abram, he did. Every single thing. All of it happened. God will always do his part. And here's the thing. All Abram had to do was follow. God just said, okay, just, just follow wherever I lead you. I want you to move. He said, I want you to get a U-Haul, and I want you to follow me. That's it. That's all he asked of Abram. And that doesn't seem like much, right? doesn't seem like much. It's like, all I'm doing is moving. Just wherever you lead me, just says, leave, leave my people behind and just go follow you, God, and you're going to do all this for me? doesn't seem like much. Our world tells us that great vision is only realized through great action. That you want to do something great for the world, then you've got to do something great for the world. This huge vision and all Abram was asked to do was move around. And I'm sure it felt like it wasn't very productive. Anybody feel like, why am I doing what I'm doing? It doesn't feel like I'm doing anything special. Part of his grand vision, be a blessing to the world, and I'm over here doing this. And it feels like nothing. I'm sure Abram felt like he wasn't being productive, and eventually Abram decided God wasn't going to do this. He felt like he wasn't doing enough. He got impatient. Felt he had to take matters into his own hands, and so he had a son with his wife's servant. His name was Ishmael. And if you know the story, it led to a lot of pain and heartache for a lot of people. Let me tell you, guard against trying to accomplish God's purposes in your own power. Are you frustrated when things don't happen according to your timeline? When you don't feel like you're doing important enough things? You attempted to help God out to take a shortcut? Do your part. Do your part. God knew what he was doing with Abram, and he knows what he's doing with you. You are not wasting your days. It seems so simple, God. It seems so insignificant. You have no idea. All God asked Abram to do was move. That's it. Some of you are professionals at moving. You got that down pat. Doesn't feel like anything special. And now notice, God didn't tell Abram everything that was going to happen. He gave him a general idea. He just said, hey, listen, I'm going to do this and this, 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 but I'm not going to give you the specifics. He didn't tell him how. He didn't tell him how long. He didn't tell him details. He just said, do this and follow me. Capiche? Like, that's it. It's going to be good. Follow where I lead. The vision of God led Abraham away from stability, away from his family. There would be safety in the known. It was risky. It would lead him somewhere unfamiliar. He didn't know where he was headed. He didn't know anything about this land. See, the vision of God is work. Moving was, was work. It was easier to stay. Not a walk in the park. It took a lot of faith for Abram to trust God, to know the details. Just because God doesn't give you all the details doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. How many of you are control freaks, self-admitted? I want all the details. I need to know everything that's going to happen in advance and preferably in a list, in, 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 in time order. I want to know linear. When is this going to happen and how? I want all the details out right now. Oh, I got two arms up, right? First child, that's me all the way. I love love a calendar. I got like five calendars on my phone. I love organization. I like when things are clear. And God says, I'm going to do some things. Be good. Trust me. One of the hardest things for us to do is, is to trust God when things aren't happening according to our timeline. There's a book I read many years ago 
called True North by a guy, by Bill George, this, he was the CEO of, uh, I think, Medtronic or something like that. And he said, uh, in the book, he was quoting somebody else about this, about being impatient, and, and the advice he was given was this, follow your compass and not your clock. Follow your compass and not your clock. You just keep walking the direction God said, and you don't worry about when. You let God work out those things. But you follow the compass. You stay on true north. Just because God doesn't provide all the details doesn't mean he doesn't know them. It's important because if you're not familiar with the story, Abraham was really old at this point in his life. (laughs) Children were highly unlikely, borderline impossible. And here's the point. The vision that God sometimes will put in your heart or in your mind is absolutely impossible. You're like, God, this just doesn't seem reasonable. It's very difficult for me to believe this. It says that his, his son, Abraham eventually would have a son named Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? The name Isaac means he laughs. Because they were like, this is a joke. This is hilarious. For the rest of our life, we would be like, hey, what? come here, joke. Hey, come here, joke. Over here, yeah. I want to laugh at you because God is so ridiculous. This is impossible. In Romans, Paul said, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. So here's the thing about the vision of God. It's unreasonable. When all around you, like, there's no logic for this. There's, this, is, this is, doesn't make any sense. This is impossible. Let me ask you, what has God spoken to you? That sounds impossible. Is there something in you, and you're like, ah, I just, not just a dream for you, but something, a, a solution to a, a problem in our world. And God says, I want, I want to use you to do this. What is it that seems impossible in your life? Whatever it is, if you can name something impossible, that's great news. Fantastic. Because you would never think of something impossible on your own. You wouldn't be like, I think God wants me to do the impossible. No. You know that's clearly God. And here's the thing. God didn't give up on Abram. Eventually he has a son with his wife. His name's Isaac. And they continue the family line. There's hope. And it tells us that God doesn't even give up on us when we fall short. Abram tried to take matters into his own hands. He tried to have a son, right, his own way. He tried to manipulate and work God's thing and help God out. God's like, come on, dude. You're just making this worse. God isn't quick to give up on us. He'll do whatever it takes to ensure we see the vision through. But here's the final one, and this is the biggest and most important. Fast forward to the end of Abram's life. When he, had, when he died, he had two sons. Only had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, only one of which could legitimately carry on the promise. There's no great nation. You know what he owned? I mean, God said, I'm going to give you all this. You know what he owned? He owned a burial plot. That's all he owned. Had no, many still had no idea his name. He certainly had not been a blessing to the whole world. What gives? What's the deal? See, the vision of God is longer than one lifetime. The vision of God is longer than any one lifetime. Just because Abram didn't see it all come to pass didn't mean it didn't happen. But it did not happen in his lifetime. He never saw these things. You read the hero, the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, and it ends saying that these people all died without seeing the fruit. See, vision, true vision, real, impactful vision 
that's longer than any one lifetime. We like, listen, we start things and we want to see them through. I, I love to finish things. I love to, I, I, I read a book, I, 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 there are some bad books out there and I'm like, I don't want to finish this book, but I'm just going to plow through because I don't hate leaving it unread. I got to finish, I want to close the book and be like, okay, fine, put that one away, I want to move on to the next one. I love finishing things. And God says, you don't always get to finish what you start. All Abraham did was move. Didn't seem like he was doing much, but what he didn't see was that God was positioning a people to tell the story of hope to a world in desperate need. Eventually, Abraham would have Isaac, and Isaac would have Jacob, and Jacob would have 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph, that would end up in Egypt. And that son would then lead to Jacob and his family moving there, and that's how they got to Egypt, and that's how they grew as a people in the land of Goshen, and that's how they eventually became Israel. And then you know the story 400 years there, they become captives because another king comes up who doesn't know the family, enslaves them, right? And then you get Moses who leads them out, the Red Sea, the whole story. Oh, man, this is incredible. Across the promised land into where? The land of Canaan. Hundreds of years later, the promise of God is longer than any one lifetime. The promise was to make him the father of many nations. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all trace their ancestry to Abraham. When you add that up today, that comes to roughly those who identify as one of those three religions, 4.2 billion people in a world of 7.8 billion. I'd say that's many nations. The whole world knows his name. We're talking about it here. The promise was to bless the world through him. Was the world blessed because of Abraham? Well, let's just see. Like Through Abraham's family, that's how the old covenant, the first covenant came to us. The Old Testament, all that law. All those things that we go, I don't want those laws. Yeah, but those laws reveal to us who God was, how holy he is and how perfect. And then through that same line, through Abraham's descendants, we come to, a, we come to Jesus. The whole world has now found out how to experience and receive the everlasting eternal life and love God offers us all because of Abram's obedience. Because he said, God, I will let you plant in my mind a vision for not just what could be, but what should be, and I will move. It doesn't seem like a lot, and I'm not seeing the whole thing, God, but I'll just say yes in my generation. I'll do my part. Can God give you a vision bigger than your lifetime? It may not be fulfilled until generations after you. We've always said this. Plant trees under whose shade you may never sit. Because the trees that you and I sit under, we didn't plant them. There's somebody else. Let God use your mind to bring about blessings far beyond your lifetime. Why does this matter so much? Why does this matter so much? I said this was the second most significant promise, remember? It's kind of like a weird way to open. See, here's the first. I think this is the, the most significant promise God has ever made us. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said these words. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you? that I am going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you, that you will always be with me where I am. See, our faith is the assurance of what we cannot see. 
And this requires vision, that in our minds we choose to believe what is not visible. Believing that God wants to make you a blessing, that he can do the impossible, that he can use ordinary people like us to accomplish extraordinary things. You know what that is? That's just a warm-up for eternity. The best use of your mind? What's the best use of your mind today? Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your minds, your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. You will bless the world and you will be blessed. God says, I want to use your mind to plant things in there. They're going to change the way you live today. They are not yet, but they will be. You can trust it. You don't have to do anything special or crazy. You just got to do what he's asking. Just realize that you may not see it all, but one day you will. One day you will. And I think God threw this in just for our benefit. I think this is just like for any of us that are still like a little uncomfortable with this. He throws this in at the end of his life. We read this, Genesis chapter 25, verse 7 about Abraham. His name's Abraham now. He's got the ham. We read this. It says, he lived 175 years. And he died at a ripe old age. That's a pretty good number, 175. Having lived a long and satisfying life, he breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. Did Abraham see the fulfillment of all God's promises? No. Do you think Abraham felt blessed? No. Long and satisfying life. How many of you would sign up for that right now? If I said, I would, I just want to promise you a long and satisfying life, would you? Yep, yep, I'm in. If you don't want that, maybe make make an appointment. We can talk this week. That's how loving God with all our minds ends. If you will love God with all your mind, if you allow him to, to plant in there that the best is yet to come, that we can trust it, then guess what? We can trust God here and now for all the impossible things he wants to do in us here and now. God wants to make you a blessing. So I just want you to do what I, whatever I prompt you. We bless others. He'll bless us. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I want to pray. I want to pause before I pray and just give you a moment just to ask yourself, does God have my mind? God, do you have our minds? Is the battle for our minds being won for good? Or have other things taken root? If you're here today, and you feel like you need God to give you victory in your mind, that you're fighting and it's been long and hard, and you are struggling I want to pray for you right now. And God is here. The Lord is in this place. 
You say, God, I need help in my mind, God. I want this year to be different. God, God, I want to love you with all my mind this year. I want to surrender my mind to you. I'm tired of letting other things occupy, corrupt, diminish what you have put in there. I want to use my mind to have vision for what should be, to be a blessing. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. God, I want to win the battle of my mind. God, would you see our hands? God, would you see our hands? Just lift them. God, we give you our minds. We surrender them and ask you to come in and, Lord, transform us. Would you renew our minds? Help us change what we think about. Give us the strength, the discipline to take captive every thought to submit it to you and only allow what is worthy to remain. Lord, let us meditate and dwell on your word, which upgrades our mind. Let's hide your word in our heart. Lord, we welcome you. We give you our minds. Teach us to love you with all of them. Would you plant vision in us? Lord, would we, perhaps we've not even asked never even considered asking you to give us a vision for how we can be a blessing. Lord, forgive us for using our minds to dream up all the ways we can bless ourselves, all the ways we can just get what we want. That's a waste of our imagination. God, would you instead use our minds to see how we can be a blessing. Because in that, in that, God, we'll discover how much of a blessing you are to us. I thank you. We commit ourselves to you. All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. May we be people who are wholeheartedly devoted. It's in your name we pray.